0: Life is messy and hard and full of opportunities to learn and grow. This is Mandy Jenkins. I believe that our humanness makes us kindred and sharing our stories makes us brave. The goal of the Kindred and Brave Project is to support you in being a learner instead of a knower by offering actionable practices for you to try in your own lives. My podcast aims to cultivate community by focusing on heart first, human-centered, story-driven connection. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. It's Mandy. Thank you so much for joining me today on the very first podcast. I want to set the scene for y'all. Of course, it's another fucking e-learning day on my first day of recording. Luckily, I have a husband who values my dreams and passions and supports them as much as I'd hope. So he's home today with the kiddo. At nine years old, you'd think my son would be pretty self-sufficient. Well, I tucked away in the office for a while to work. But as anyone with a neurodiverse kiddo knows, it's not that easy. My son Micah is a big-hearted, big-energy kid who has ADHD. More on that later. It's a sunny fall Midwest day, and my office is filled with pictures of my mom, plants, because duh, and wallpaper from the jungle. A far cry from the office guest room craft space I worked from in Seattle. Today, I want to talk to you about who I am and how this the kindred and brave project podcast came to life. It actually all started when I was 18 and graduated high school early to start beauty school. My parents were supportive, despite some of their friends shuddering at the idea that I would be just a hairstylist. I got to work in the big city of Chicago as an assistant for over a year and met mentors, attended really cool parties, and house sat aloft in Wicker Park. Most importantly, I learned how to be more independent. I'm an only child, a deeply feeling type two on the Enneagram, we'll talk a whole lot about that later. And working in the city at 18 gave me drive and inspiration. I did end up realizing I loved people and communication, so I enrolled at Purdue as a communication major. While I earned my undergraduate degree and my graduate degrees, I worked at a salon in Northwest Indiana. I met clients that to this day are my dearest friends, and it's true what they say, stylists really do serve as therapists behind the chair. In my last year of graduate school, I applied for a teacher exchange program in Uganda, Africa. I actually found out about this organization, the Invisible Children and the war that was happening in Uganda from an amazing informative speech that one of my Purdue students gave. This experience would change my life. I learned about empathy without realizing that I was actually learning about deep empathy. I learned that this nervous Nelly, as I was lovingly called by friends and family, could in fact do hard things. I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was just six, raised by two loving parents, one who disconnected from emotions and told me to suck it up and one who sat with me through the big feelings and reminded me they wouldn't last forever, was confusing to say the least. On that trip to Uganda, I met my now husband. We started communicating via text two months before we departed, sending each other CDs in the mail. Can you imagine? It's how I learned about Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, the band that my mom and I loved so much and sang the song Home, the song she heard just minutes before she took her last breath. After I graduated, I moved to Seattle to be with Andy. I had no job. And only about $5,000. I was 27 years old, and I knew if I didn't take the leap then, I never would. We drove across mountain passes in my front wheel drive Pontiac vibe, pulling a U haul. Andy held the O shit bar most of the drive, and at one point, I even caught him saying the rosary. Meeting people in Seattle is tough. There's a phrase, it's called the Seattle freeze, and it's real as fuck. It was a tough time for this Midwest girl. I got hired teaching at Bellevue College just outside of Seattle, an amazing school with a diverse student population and a wonderful group of colleagues. Then came marriage, and a year later, our first son, Micah. While my pregnancy was easy, my labor and delivery was anything but. I was in labor for four long days. I had planned on a natural delivery and my midwife finally convinced me that an epidural was necessary for me to have the strength to bring my baby out into the world. My blood pressure spiked and his dropped and I got Corio, which is an infection common in women who labor for far too long. Emergency C-section it was. Nothing was going as planned. The anesthesia wore off about 30 seconds after it started, and I could feel my organs being rearranged. But eventually, Micah arrived, and he was healthy. Two hours later, I hemorrhaged. Part of my placenta was left inside after my surgery, and I was rushed back into surgery, and that was the beginning of a very long road to recovery. During this time, my parents flew in, and my mom stayed with us for three weeks to help care for me. Her and Andy lovingly opened my most vulnerable wound twice a day to clean it and rebandage it, the place where my baby was pulled from. She drove me to the Seattle Cancer Care Center weekly for intravenous iron infusions. It seems now like a foreshadowing that I should have noticed. Despite the two blood transfusions that I had, I just had lost too much blood. And then the postpartum depression set in. My mom had gone home and Andy was at work, and I could barely take care of myself, let alone this tiny child. At Micah's two-month checkup, I was sent to Seattle Children's Hospital for what looked like a rash on his tiny body. After hours of testing, we were set free and told to come back in two weeks for another x-ray. There she was, my mom was by my side once again, I laid on my sweet baby while he screamed through the x-rays. When we were led to the waiting room and waited for what felt like a little too long, I knew. I had that feeling. A gut feeling. Something was wrong. When the door finally opened, there were six doctors and nurses with somber looks on their faces. All of the words were coming out so fast, I couldn't take them all in. There was a mass in his chest, maybe around his spinal cord. He needed tests, scans, x-rays, an oncology team. In a matter of minutes, our whole world turned upside down. My mom was by our side for those three weeks too. And there were angels and miracles everywhere. Something that I would love to share with you in future episodes. Micah had what was called a pulmonary sequestration. What was supposed to be a seven-hour surgery only took a couple of hours. He had actually tried to grow a third lung, and they were able to solder it off. He's always been an overachiever. He was actually born with a tooth, too. Around the time that Micah was one, I found a really great therapist. I told her I was reading Rising Strong by Brene Brown. And it was making it all click for me. Emotions, thoughts, feelings, they were all connected, I told her. We can't imagine or change one without looking at all of them together. Brene Brown calls this interconnection. I started to understand through therapy and Brene Brown's work how I was feeling and why. My therapist is the one who told me that you could become certified to facilitate Dr. Brown's work. Teaching was still a great passion of mine, but I knew there was more. And on came a life coach certification. I had to be a helping professional to be eligible to apply for the Daring Way work. So I took nine months to earn my life coaching certification. I learned more about myself in that time that I could have imagined. Call it another life-changing event. I got a part-time job working in Seattle for a female-founded co-working startup where I met some of the most incredible women, women starting podcasts, businesses, doing world-changing work. It was there that I had the opportunity to lead the most attended weekly event at the Riveter called Goal Getters. We met, we set goals, we talked about what was getting in the way, we learned from each other, we supported each other, It was our community. It's what I've longed for ever since those years. My teaching career hit a high when I had the opportunity to apply for a tenure track position, a position I applied for six years earlier and did not receive. I was scared shitless, but I knew how much I'd grown as an instructor and that coaching made me a better teacher and being a teacher made me a better coach. After three rounds of interviews, including a one-hour live teaching demo, I got the news. I was a tenure-track professor, a college instructor's greatest dream and biggest accomplishment. A job for life, as they say. And one month later, my mom, my best friend, was diagnosed with lung cancer about 2,000 miles away in Chicago. There are so many stories within this story. What I want you to walk away thinking about is the notion of trusting your gut, feeling with your heart instead of thinking with your mind. Over and over again through this vulnerable introduction, hey, as Glennon Doyle says, we can do hard things, right? I have shared with you how I've learned little by little to trust my gut, my intuition, maybe one of the most difficult and scariest decisions regarding what happened when I found out around this time, four years ago, that my mom's treatment hadn't worked and her cancer had spread. What happened was I walked into my class as I did five days a week. We had been midway through the corner, about six weeks, and we had already created what was a little family. It was an introduction to communication class and we were running into the speech element. All I had to do that day was sit and listen to my amazing students give speeches on things that they really cared about. I wrote their names on the board. My chest got heavy, my breathing quickened. I started shaking. I looked at my students and I told them I was going to get a drink of water. I went into the bathroom, I wiped my tears away. The shaking didn't stop and I walked back into class and told my students that I felt sick and that we were going to reschedule and we'd pick up the next day. I walked into my department chair's office and by the time I got the door closed, I was having a full blown panic attack. I was shaking, I was hard to breathe, I was crying. I shared the news with her about my mom's cancer spreading. I shared with her that I loved my classes, I loved my job, I wished nothing for this for six years, but that I had to go home. She hugged me, and she said, of course, of course. With that, I decided to take a leave of absence. This is something that changed everything. I knew my mom would be mad at me. I knew it would be difficult to leave my husband and my son and my classes. I felt in some ways like I was failing everybody, including myself. But... I knew it was the right thing to do because I could feel it in my gut. I walked into each of my three classes the next week. I stood in front of them, almost 120 students in total, and I shared the news. I told them that my mom was my best friend, that she had stage four lung cancer, that she had gone through treatment at one hospital and it didn't work and it spread. I shared with them that I respected them and I was so excited for them And I was so grateful for everything that they had already taught me. And I shared with them that I needed to be home with my mom. I was scared to lose my job, but I knew it was the right thing to do. At the end of each of our episodes, I'll give you what I'd like to call homework, but I know that word has a negative connotation for many of us. So I'll call it what it is, a practice. I'll give you a practice. And today, I want you to think about a time when you trusted your gut. How did that feel for you? What was the outcome? How did you grow from that experience of listening to your own intuition and following your heart? For right now, you can share your responses on my Instagram. You can send me a DM at Coaching. but soon we'll have a place that is our own, a community where we can all share and grow together. Lastly, I pulled a card for us today. This is a practice I started when my mom was sick. The card is from a deck called the Prism Oracle Guidebook. I'll link it in the show notes. The card is purple, and it's called Faith. And it says, this card really isn't about the belief in a higher power. Although if that is part of our practice, you are welcome to infuse it here. It's more about trusting that no matter what, things will be okay. This is an idea that's much larger than yourself or anyone else. Things are moving and shifting all the time. So just keep working toward your goal, whatever it may be, and know that the outcome will lead you exactly where you need to be. I mentioned a really important song earlier. It's called Home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And it's actually a cd that andy sent me before we even met in person my mom and i listened to it over and over again and had many nights dancing with red wine out on the deck we even got to see them in concert together home became our favorite song it was the song that my husband and i walked out into our families and friends together after we got married and when my mom was sick the palliative care folks told me that I should play music for her, the music that she knew and that she loved. There was Fleetwood Mac, there was Carole King, and there was a lot of Edward Sharp. Home is a song that I played for her just moments before she took her last breath here on this earth, and it's a gift I'd like to leave you with today. I'll catch you next week. You're the apple of my eye, girl. I never loved one like you. Man, oh man, you're my best friend. I'm screaming too. There's nothing that, there ain't nothing that I need. (laughs) Well, hot and heavy, pumpkin pie, chocolate candy, Jesus Christ. Ain't nothing pleased me more than.